Welcome to the Mama Bear Apologetics Podcast. A podcast where we teach you to roar like a mother. And by roar, we mean recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach, and reinforce these ideas with your kids. Unless you want to growl around your house. I mean, that's cool too. <laughs> You're like, check it. We keep it reels. <laughs> that's so bad. You're awesome. Mama Bear Apologetics is a listener-supported program, so if you like what we do, head on over to the Mama Bear Apologetics website and click support. It's time to rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Welcome, Mama and Papa Bears, to another Mama Bear Apologetics podcast. This series that we've been doing lately has been so exciting because we've been bringing in all sorts of amazing speakers and writers to help encourage and equip you mama bears out there with other resources that are just phenomenal. And with me today is one that I'm so excited to introduce to you is Katie Faust. Katie Faust and her friend Stacy Manning wrote an amazing book called Them Before Us. And I'm not going to spoil it for you. Instead, Katie, why don't you share a little bit about the book, your ministry? Just tell us a little bit about you. Um, well, first of all, I'm a fan of Mama Bear Apologetics. So that's one thing you need to know about me. I am just so about raising up children who are not taken captive by the lies of the culture, but that does not happen by accident. It happens on purpose, right? That the only way that we ensure that our children are not consumed by the woke machine, which is coming for everybody, is if we get to them first, if we give them honest answers to honest questions. Um, and you've got to start young, right? Got to start young, age appropriate. I'll, I am on the mama bear train. Let's just put it that way. I love that. Um, I also run a children's rights nonprofit called Them Before Us. Mm -hmm. um, and what we defend children's rights in the family, specifically children's right to their mother and father. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, understand that children have a right to their mother and father, that they benefit love of their mother and father, um, that they are the beneficiaries of the biological identity that come from their mother and father. That actually gives you a lens through which you can evaluate every other conversation, um, hot topic, controversy, or trending news item that has to do with marriage, family, parenthood, the definition of marriage, divorce, same-sex parenting, transgender parents, polygamy, cohabitation, mm -hmm egg donation, surrogacy, adoption, like every single issue, every marriage and family issue actually can be understood properly when we first understand that children have a right to their mother and father. So what Them Before Us does is we seek to advocate on behalf of children's right to their mother and father in cultural conversations, but also in policy matters. That is fantastic. And yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan for that. And it's, it's interesting how you frame it because when you recognize that it's, it's children's rights at the heart of it, it really exposes so much of the flawed logic that is heavily seeped within emotionalism, which is just appealing to, and it's, it's very adult centric, right? It's, you know, as long as the adults are happy and the adults have the feels, then, okay, well, the kids will just benefit from down the line. It'll be like a trickling effect. When really so many, especially of these modern uh, rights movements, uh, are not beneficiary to the children whatsoever. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, we in our book, um, I'm a pastor's wife. Stacy's a Christian. You won't find any scripture in our book mm. um, because we are make a secular case 
that, you know, our authority is scripture. My authority is scripture. I carry my Bible around with me everywhere. I try to read the woman, read the Bible with every woman that I'm with. Like I love the Bible, but that is an authority that does not resonate with the general public. And so what we try to book is we appeal to a common authority, a universal authority. And that God's world, right? His word is my authority, but his world is everyone's authority. Mm. And so what we do in the appeal to natural authority, social science, the testimonies and stories of kids themselves who have lived through these modern families. And we talk in the book about how in all of these marriage and parenthood conversations, they're obsessively focused on the desires of adults, right? Mm. That that is the focal point. If you want to look at this from a Christian perspective, the way that I would put it is sex has become God, right? And our adult sexual desires, adult romantic desires, that has become the greatest good, the highest end, the pursuing. The problem is that when adult sexual desires or adult romantic desires becomes God, children's rights and well-being are the sacrifice on the altar to that God. Yeah. And so um, any Christian reading this book is going to have, you know, the um, the fireworks going off in terms of better understanding God's design for sex and marriage. Um, But you'll see that we communicate it and talk about it in ways that are completely secular because God's world is always going to reinforce God's word. Yeah. And I really appreciate that approach because even within Christian parenting, you know, our kids need to hear both sides of the issue because so often you'll have a teenager coming up or even a young kid coming up and they'll say, okay, yeah, I know that's what the Bible says, but, and they're going to appear to the secular psychologists, World Health Organization, all these organizations that are deeply uh, entrenched within materialism. And all of a sudden the the biblical argument is, isn't going to sound as effective to them. But when we can show how natural laws you mentioned in the book affirms God's design, then that holds more weight with our kiddos. They realize, oh, wait a second, this isn't just, you know, as today's culture loves to say, mom's truth or truth, his truth. This is the truth. Uh, it is objective reality. And, and that is huge for kids and very important for kiddos, especially your teens as they're starting to get uh, entrenched within different worldviews, hearing other sides of things. They need to hear um, this other perspective. I, yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, my basic parenting, our basic parenting philosophy is up until about age 10, we saturate our kids in truth and beauty, you know, letting them absorb the scriptures, you know, exposing them to the good, the true and the beautiful. But especially once your kids get to middle school, mm-hmm. um, I tell my kids, I expect you to be experts on the, all these topics. I expect you to know more about this than anybody else when it comes to things like the definition of marriage mm-hmm. um, or genderism or abortion or whatever it is. Like you might not know more than your teacher, but you're going to know enough to spot a lie. And so it is really in middle school, I find that kids need very much to know the why behind what God says, yeah. right? They know what, God, if you've been saturating them in truth and beauty up until about age 10, But it's in middle school that they really are going to need to know why he says that. Mm -hmm. And answers from his world are the why. And so uh, I do find that being able to reason this through, being able to appeal to natural law, being able to point to social science, being able to incorporate the real life stories of kids who have lived through these modern families um, and 
testify at the loss that they experience when things are not done God's way, that actually is what allows them to stand firm, even if they're standing alone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's that why that I think helps inspire reverence because that's, oh, now it makes more sense. I I spoke uh, recently to a bunch of girls at a uh, Christian leadership camp and I was talking about sex and gender. And one gal came up and she goes, oh my gosh, God is so incredible. Like when we were talking about the why of sex and its beauty and design and how it's an expression of one's worldview, she goes, I had no idea. This is so amazing. God is loves us so much for designing it this way. There was this renewal of awe and enchantment with God when you understand the reason behind it. And that's what we're trying to do today, folks. Today, we're talking specifically about marriage. So a while back, uh, I had written a blog post called When Adam and Steve Come to Dinner. And it's talking about how do we discuss what marriage is to our kiddos. And Katie, I'm curious if you've seen this. I know I've seen it with teens, especially with uh, this next generation that's been coming up. Um, we almost have to make a marriage apologetic because marriage is now seen as something that's that's um, like gross. Why would you chain yourself to someone? Um, I've seen it referred to, you know, being uh, being essentially enslaved to another person. And of course, the submission issue comes into it. Have you, in your experience, especially within you and Stacey's research, have you noticed this shift among the millennials and then especially Gen Z? of this sort of distancing and, and just wanting to get rid of marriage altogether. Yes. And um, what we see really is there's a pretty direct connection between the culture of no-fault divorce and the rise in marital dependency today, right? That what happens is if you live through a divorce as a child, which my entire generation did, yeah. you know, my parents divorced. And my husband's parents divorced when he was three. You know, we grew up in the 80s and the 90s when divorce was at its peak. So there were high marriage rates, but there were peak divorce rates. Mm -hmm. And what's so fascinating is that kids who are the product of divorce very often have a hard time forming their own stable relationships and marriages. If they do get married, they are more prone to divorce themselves. But very often, they simply choose not to marry at all. Mm -hmm. And what's fascinating is but we devote an entire chapter, chapter five, to divorce and the long-term impact of kids. And one of the major impacts of that is this idea that they actually don't know if marriage can last, if love can be life. And what's so fascinating is, you know, of the, you know, of the divorces that take place, about 30% of those divorces take place because the mom or the dad was deemed at fault, right? Adultery, abuse, addiction, abandonment. Those are the cases that are very high conflict, right? Where uh, if a divorce takes place, oftentimes the kid will experience some relief from that divorce because they recognize there was something very wrong here. And even though it's tough to not live with both my mom and dad, I understand why the marriage broke up. But about 70% of divorces today do not take place in high conflict marriages. They take place because mom or dad fell out of love or dad wanted right. to move on or mom fell in love with somebody else or whatever it is. And from the kid's perspective, there was nothing wrong, right? Mom and dad seemed fine. Like they weren't arguing. They weren't yelling. Nobody was angry. They were still doing family dinners and things like that. And then all of a sudden, mom left and one day she was gone. Right. And it was actually it's those cases where it's a low conflict marriage that tend to inflict the most harm on children of divorce. Because mm -hmm. why? From their perspective, there's no reason 
why the marriage should have broken up. And for them, they always take it as a wound, a deep, deep wound, right? They're grieved that their father's not living with them anymore, or they're grieved that they're only seeing their mother, mother on the weekends. And there's no reason for it. And so what very often happens is they go either love isn't real. It never can be long lasting. I can't trust marriage. Or they think it must have been me. Uh, I must have been the because I didn't see anything in their relationship that was problematic. To me, everything looked great. I thought that I thought that we were a happy, wonderful, loving family. And all of a sudden it was gone. Yeah. It's those, it's those adult children who say, marriage is way too risky. Maybe I'll just around and never really get into a marriage because sleeping around isn't risky. It's committing to somebody else for life. That's risky because what I learned from my childhood is anyone can read, leave at any moment for any reason with no warning at all. That's what they're learning from, of course, families. So yes, of course, we've got an entire generation of millennials and to a lesser extent, Gen Z of a culture of divorce, where of course they're going to be hesitant about the institution of marriage itself because they have been trained to look at it with very skeptical eyes. Yeah, no, and that's such a great point. Even even when you think of the entertainment industry, like I, oh, family shows really frustrate me, sitcoms especially, because it's this same dysfunctional trope to where you've got this over uh, overweight, super stupid dad. You've got this attractive, thin, but super naggy mom. And it's just, it they're just awful to one another. And in a way, you know, art does reflect the worldview of the artist, but it's not just reflecting one's worldview, it's even shaping that as well. And so when you talk about not only these kids who have grown up uh, in the peak of divorce, especially now where it's it's perpetuated to where if you're unhappy, you know, it's better for you to be happy. Your kids will be better off if you're happy and you divorce and maybe marry somebody else. We're actually cultivating this view of just, you know, marriage is just a waste. It's toxic. Uh, you know, it's the ball and chain. And we're actually, and I say we as in like society as a whole, is even nurturing this brokenness of, oh, even if you do get married, yeah, your your marriage might be Instagram gorgeous, but eventually you're going to become like the modern families, the middle, you know, uh, oh gosh, king of queens, you know, these just dysfunctional settings. And it's it's truly unfortunate. Yeah, I heard a phrase that I've repeated to my children so many times in the last couple of years, and that is you become what you behold, mm. right? Whatever looking at, you will become like that, which is yeah. why we are exhorted all through scripture to be holy as God is holy and to look at him and to not, to not deviate from the right or the left. We will become what we are looking at, which is why we must always look at the perfection of the Lord. We must always train our sights on his standard and his ways. Just by looking at it, we will become like it. But mm. if what we are is trashy teen romances, right? Where it's all about an overly sexualized. If what we are beholding is an Instagram world where the only people that get accolades are the ones that are perfectly airbrushed with the exact right thigh gap, you know, I mean, whatever it is, like you will become what you are looking at. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be careful. Yeah. And these days culture has forced us to behold all manner of dysfunction, right? Whether it is in, in family loss, right? In the form of a modern family where there's a mom or dad missing or whether it's to behold a dysfunctional family with a mom and dad who don't have respect, love, friendship, sweetness, 
persistence, faithfulness in their relationship, right? And so it is critical for whenever possible for you within your own home to allow your child to behold what it is that they need to become when they are older, right? Give them the picture of faith. Give them the picture of male-female complementarity um, that cooperates without being exactly the same, right? That that marriage is actually God's greatest object lesson to humanity when it comes to the nature is and his relation to the church. And it also is going to help your children become the healthy adult that they need to be so they can also recreate a healthy family when they, um, when they leave your house. Absolutely. It really is a reflection of God's relationship to the church. So it's not just you're giving this amazing picture for your kids to understand what a good marriage is. You're also helping them understand what a good relationship with God looks like. And that is fantastic. So Katie, I got to ask, because this is one thing I hear a lot uh, from younger generations and even, you know, kids my age as well. They say kids, people my age, uh, they say that, you know what, marriage is just a piece of paper. Um, We heard this often throughout our careers in the military and even just among friends and family who are cohabitating or, uh, you know, they they just don't see it as anything important. So I know you guys have done a lot of research on just the importance of marriage and why, I guess, why is marriage important? Why is it more than just a piece of paper? Marriage is important because children are important. And so what you're going to find at them before us is anytime you bring up any kind of situation or question about marriage and family, we are going to reframe it in relation to the child. Because it is true that marriage does matter for adults, right? Um, it's true that like married men make more money, work harder, ha- earn more, have better mental health. I mean, like marriage is very good for adults. But at them before us, when it comes to social um, science, when it comes to um, policy issues, and even when it comes to advocating um, in the relationships in our personal life, we find that advocacy on behalf of the most vulnerable, which is children, needs to take priority. And so marriage matters because children matter. So let's just take one step back and talk about children. Yeah. Children come from one man and one woman. Mm-hmm. And no that children, because we are, have been studying family structure for decades, we know what it takes for children to thrive. Um, all the studies, you know, from the left and the right tell us conclusively that children are most likely to thrive. I mean, you can survive in other situations, but if you want to have a child thrive, then they need to be raised by their mother and father every day for life, right? Only way that society, whether it's our society, whether it is China, ancient China, whether it's ancient Egypt, whether it's current day um, Iraq, what you find is that children thrive when they are raised by both their mother and father. And the main solution that society has figured out to ensure that children get both of them every day for life is marriage. And it's because a lot of times you can look at different institutions throughout the world and throughout history and figure, okay, this culture kind of came up with this theory of mathematics. This culture came up with this. Nobody can figure out who first, from a sociological perspective, who first invented marriage. Right. It seems to have everywhere across the world in every religion and every culture organically. Hmm. Because marriage reflects this deep human truth. And that is the man and woman who make the baby 
are in the best position to raise the baby. Mm-hmm. And every society has that, well, the mother is connected to the baby physically. Like literally she is connected by a cord. There is nothing that connects dad to baby. Mm-hmm. And so every society throughout history has had to figure out how do I connect dad to baby when bio- biology like makes it optional. And so what they decided, what they discovered is if they can connect dad to mom, they automatically connect dad to baby. Yeah. And marriage only institution that makes that possible. So what happens when a child doesn't have marriage, right? Is it just a piece of paper? Mm-hmm. Well, it's fascinating because what we find out is children these days who are born outside of marriage, right? So about 1960s, um, around 5% of children were born outside of marriage. Today, that number is about 40% are born out. In some communities, in the African-American communities, 71% of children are born outside of marriage. Mm -hmm. And you can actually see the trending lines, right, of what happens to a child's future if they are born outside of marriage. They have decreased academic performance. They have increased mental health issues. They have increased rates of obesity. Um, they struggle when it comes to self-harm and behavioral issues. They are much, boys are without dads who are grow up with just a single mom are much more likely to have run-ins with the police. Girls who grow up with single moms are much more likely to become teen mothers, right? You actually have these predictable patterns that take place in the life of a child if they are not raised by their married mother and father. Now, that's not to say that these children are doomed by any stretch of the imagination. They're not. But to pretend that there are not significant obstacles in their lives because they are born without the right to their mother and father respected and protected, they fall into much higher rates of possible social ills, right? Whether it's poverty, homelessness, teen suicide, drug and alcohol abuse, run-ins with the police, like almost every major social ill that you would like to solve that burdens your heart today are overpopulated by fatherless children. And so not say that you care about child well-being, you care about child thriving, you care about student success, you care about children not growing up in poverty, you care about them having healthy minds and healthy bodies and healthy relationships you can't care about any of that unless you care about marriage. Right. There's no other way at it. And trust me, as a government, we've tried. We have tried throwing hundreds of billions of dollars at this problem for decades. And to this date, we have not found any government institution, any parallel relationship that replicates the benefits to children of marriage. Yeah. Marriage is so critical to child thriving mm-hmm. that you will not child health without it. Wow. No, that's so important because it, it really requires you, especially if we're, we're ministering to our children and shepherding our children to show, okay, wait a second. There, there are results. There's consequences to our actions. I mean, it, it really requires a complete worldview shift on how we approach even the dating, uh, sphere because here today, well, it's, it's been like that for quite a while. But, you know, dating is supposed to be, you know, oh, just this fun thing. You do it casually. No, no, no. Dating originally had purpose. Courting had purpose to find a spouse. Now spouses are optional. Um, And oftentimes you you don't even want that. And children are accidental rather than being intentional as the byproduct, the the true result of what sex is. 
And so to really be thoughtful, it's it's not just marriage that we're talking to our kiddos about and why it's important in and of itself. It's neural, even for the health of your future children, they need that stability and structure that's only found within the home. And it's, it's interesting because it, um, I remember as a kid in elementary school, they had this big banner hung up in our gym and it said, it takes a village to raise a child. And I remember being immensely creeped out by that. But even today, that's what we're seeing with a lot of these government programs is it's trying to say that, okay, we can now um, offset parents. Like parents are problematic. We, they, children don't actually need parents. They need this sort of Plato's Republic style of just this constant rotation of adults who quote unquote, love the child for them to grow up healthy, balanced, nurtured and that sort of thing. But no, it's so important and integral for the health of children. Uh, not to, like you mentioned, um, have uh, money or a government program thrown at them, but to have something as simple as mom and dad present. That's exactly right. And um, I, you know, I'm a mom. I've got four kids. I've got a great, supportive, incredible husband. It is amazing to have a wonderful community around me, right? I'm so grateful. My mom just headed home yesterday after coming and staying with me for two days. I love the extended family setup, Mm -hmm. right? I do think that huge aspect of community that aids in child growth, mm-hmm. but there is no substitute for mom and dad. Yeah. Right. There is no, like, no matter how caring the grandparents, no matter how strong the church, there will be a loss. There will be an absence and there will be an increased risk if mom or dad are gone. Yeah. Right. That's the pieces of the puzzle that you can't just cut and swap and paste and have the kid be just fine. Mm-hmm. In fact, that is the main problem with modern families, right? In fact, I tell people like modern family is really just code for child loss. Whenever you're looking at a modern family, whether it's like two dads, right? Or um, a situation of a single mother by choice um, or a no-fault divorce um, and then a repartnership with, you know, the secretary that dad decided, you know, 20 years younger, a, a lot less, you know, stretch marks than than bikes 1.0 or whatever it is, like whenever you're looking at this or like the open non-monogamy, right, which is all so trendy now, you're always looking at household where the child was forced to lose something they had a natural right to, which was their mom and dad. So in the Christian world, what we can tell our kids is we don't make kids sacrifice for us. Mm. It is an act mandate in scripture for us to protect children and protect the most vulnerable not exploit the most vulnerable, not force the vulnerable to sacrifice for the strong. That's not the way the biblical worldview works. Mm. The biblical world says the strong sacrifice for the weak. We actually had the strongest in all of creation sacrifice for the weakest among us, which Mm -hmm. was our Lord for us. We're to go and do likewise, right? He doesn't say you come and you sacrifice for me. He says, I'll come down and sacrifice for you. And our entire worldview is built on this. The mature will shoulder the load on behalf of the vulnerable, right? All yeah. throughout scripture, you especially the Old Testament over and over and over and over advocate for the most vulnerable. Open your mouth on behalf of the weak, you know, speak up for the oppressed. And, and I will tell you in this life and in this culture, especially the most vulnerable, the most victimized are children. And very often it is half at the expense of adult sexual desire, adult sexual rights, adult sexual identities, mm-hmm. right? And so that, that is a no-go zone for Christians. Absolutely not. And when you're talking with your kids, that is probably one of the best ways to delineate 
between relationships and families that are seeking God's will. And that is like, are they sacrificing for the kids or are the kids being forced to sacrifice for the adults? So, Mm -hmm. you know, like I got families out there where you've got a stepdad who is stepping into the shoes of a negligent, absent biological dad, right? Refused to do the hard thing so his child could have their mom and dad, right? Thank God for those step parents who are saying, going to fill that, that absent space for my mm-hmm. child. But oh, woe to the adults that say, well, I'm just going to do what I want to do and the kid's going to have to put up with it. Yeah. Right. Woe to that. Wow. No, that's, that's so powerful and so needed. It really does. Like I said, it, it really does reframe things because here we, with our kids, we need to be shepherding them to be advocating for those smaller than them, even when their own little is no, what we do is to protect the weak and the vulnerable, which is what we're commanded to do. It's, it's the orphans and the widows. We are commanded to protect the weak. And one of the ways we can do that again is reframing and articulating better to our kids the purpose and the design of marriage again, to reflect God and his kingdom, but also to nurture the community. And this tiny community within your own homes and protect ultimately the children. Cause outside of those bonds, that is where you see increased rates. Uh, and you point out uh, multiple statistics throughout your book that, the, and this is not all the case, but when there is a home that isn't the, the mom, dad, or if there's maybe a step parent where whenever we're outside of God's design, there's increased rates of abuse and struggle, trauma, poverty, all of these things. And it just really affirms that God's design is so important for our kiddos. So we've only got a few minutes left. So, well, what, oh, go ahead. Just to say that child protection is at the top of God's list. Amen. And his design acts only within man-woman marriage is one of the primary means that he gives for child protection. Mm. And the reason why as all of these laws in the Old Testament for the fatherless is to protect them is because they are distinctly vulnerable right, to other harms. And so if the family breaks down, if there is no dad, if there is no husband, then he has also created all these other laws to increase communal protection. Yeah. But God's design within marriage is plan A for child Mm -hmm. protection. And so if you deviate, if you compromise on God's design for sex and marriage, you are really saying we're okay with children shouldering the load of, like you said, increased risk of abuse and neglect, because that is what follows in the Old Testament and in current day, if we reject God's design for sex and marriage. Absolutely. So Mama and Papa Bears, if you've been reading our book on sexuality, you can see how this just perfectly follows along to carry on that conversation with your kiddos and not only why it's important to honor God with your bodies, but also to honor him within marriage so that future generations may come to know him. So Katie, we have had a great discussion on the importance of marriage, how marriage helps nurture children. Uh, it just helps bond families and, and encourages kids uh, for future success as well. So what are some practical tips that moms and dads can use to uh, explain this better to their kiddos, to really make for a good argument to them on the importance and need of marriage? Like I said, you know, at the beginning, I think that in those preschool and elementary school years, you want to expose them to as much truth and beauty as possible. If you can do that in your own home, if you've got a mom and dad raising kids together, talk them 
Uh, you know, moms and dads are different and it's those differences that make it so awesome in our house. You know, mom loves to like sit and cut, you know, so that you can learn to use your fine motor skills as the, you know, use your fingers. But notice how dad likes to jump and climb and run so you can use your legs and your arms, right? Start pointing out the beautiful complementary ways that men and women parent together and how amazing it is that the baby came from, the child came from you and dad, right? Mm-hmm. And what a gift that. Uh, and so start revealing just through the object lesson of your life together, um, that men and women create children that committing to one another every single day means the child gets the benefit of having mom's love and dad's love every day. And then as they get older, you can start to point out, as we do in chapter three of our book, the incredible complementary ways that males parent kids and females parent kids and how it maximizes child development. So even if you're just pointing out things like, yeah, you notice that mom is very, very worried about everything being fair and all of you guys the same amount of cake. And dad, he's more concerned with like adventure and fun. Amazing that you've got parents that naturally do those two things differently. Start describing, right? And narrating your world so they can see the goodness of men and women and reinforce that you know why, you know why you get mom and dad every day? Because we committed to one another for life, no matter how hard things get, and we're not going to leave one another, right? So you're doing all of that truth and beauty as you reveal it to your kids in preschool and elementary school years. And then I recommend in middle school, you start to introduce these challenging topics to your kids. Um, there's a principle called the founder's principle, and that is whoever gets to the kid first, they automatically consider the expert and they should consider you the expert on everything that has to do with sex and marriage and parenting and mothering and fathering and all of that. So talk to them first about what the definition of marriage is and what happens if there's two moms or two dads raising a kid. Well, what that means is the kid doesn't have a mom or dad. And isn't that sad for the child? Because you know how much you need your mom's love and your dad's love and how hard it would be not to have that love in your life. So um, I think that there's a lot that you can do just by revealing the truth in your own home, but then also be unafraid of talking with your kids about these topics um, because somebody will talk with them about it and it really should be you. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it makes me think too about families who have gone through divorce and some practical things that that they can do as well. And I think one of the biggest, and, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but if if you were living in a situation where you and your husband or you and your wife are divorced, one of the best things you can do is to help nurture a good relationship with the father or with the mother. It's, I, it's one of the tragic things that I see is so oftentimes when families break apart, they they then use the child as a bit of a pawn and vilify the other parents. And I think it's so important for uh, children within those situations that they aren't used and, and uh, you know, that dad isn't necessarily always painted in a bad light or mom isn't always painted in a bad light. Instead, that it's encouraged that they have this good relationship, continuing relationship with the, the family, even if it has broken apart at some point. Yeah, the child has a natural and I would say God-given protectiveness for their mom and dad. Trying to brutalize their other parent, you'll brutalize your child's heart in the process. That it's challenging. I mean, I I live in the real world. My husband's a pastor. We've walked through some of the most challenging marital situations and marital breakdowns 
I understand that there are situations where mom or dad isn't blameless. And one of them is very clearly at fault mm-hmm. for wrecking the home. And even in those situations, you must be very delicate about how you communicate with and around the child. Um, be honest with them. And I think that you can and you should be honest, especially when they on their own voice their own loss and pain. Um, you know, there's a kid a year ago who, whose mom, I was, dad left, I was working with mom, you know, and he, the boy said at night going to bed, I just am so sad all the time and I don't know why. That's not for mom to say, you're sad because you deserve to have your father in your house every day. And he is missing out. He is missing out on being with you at night like I'm with you at night. And I'm sorry. So you can carefully validate what your child is experiencing without trashing their parent. Mm -hmm. So we do need to be wise about how we navigate this because whenever possible, even if there's a situation of divorce, what the child needs is more of both mom and dad, not less of mom and dad. Yeah, absolutely. I, again, it all comes back to putting the child first instead of trying to maybe put ourselves first, our own wounded feelings first. It's always, always put the child first. So Katie, thank you so much for being here. Uh, for people who want to get to know about you, Stacey, the, the ministry and the work that you guys are doing in child uh, rights advocacy, how can they get a hold of you guys best? Thenbeforeus.com is the website. Um, the best way to stay up on everything we're doing is to go down um, to the bottom of the homepage and subscribe. So you're on our mailing list. We're on all the social media platforms if you just need like a quick refresher. But what I would encourage you to do is become an expert, right? Your kids can't be experts on this unless you are the expert on this. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage you to the expert. And that is why we wrote the book was to simply put all of the highest quality data in your hands, but also the stories of kids. So you can really get a feel for the real life impact of mother and father loss in the lives of kids. And once you get to the end of the book, even though there's not one word of scripture in it, you're going to come out of that going exactly what that, that girl did. Oh, how God loves us. Oh, how God loves children, right? That he would set up this design and insist that adults conform to the needs of children through his commandments around sex and marriage. So um, I would encourage you to read the book and become an expert because then you'll be able to dole out these perfect nuggets of wisdom when your kid has a question from school or from social media or from their own neighborhood about what about this and what do I say to this? And, and, and is God really good for issuing these kinds of commands for how we use our body? The answer is 100% yes. And it's good for children and society as well. You're wrong. Thank you so much. I completely agree. Y'all go ahead and check it out. Stay tuned to our next podcast. We're going to have more amazing guests. As always, uh, like and subscribe on Mom Bear Apologetics so that way you can get the latest updates on what we're doing, the ministry that we're putting out. And if you have suggestions for a podcast or a blog, we love those. Send them our way. And if, if we get it, if we think it's awesome, we're going to put one out just for you. Thanks so much for joining us, Katie, everyone else. Well, uh, thank you for being with us at this Mama Bear Apologetics podcast. And we'll see you next time. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. 
We hope you learned a little more about how to sift through ideas, accept the good, reject the bad, and now you can go teach your kids to do the same. Do you have any questions or maybe some ideas about future podcast episodes? Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we'll do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, mama bears. We are all in this together.